Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yes, the endless plague of strictly calm X Factor apprentices dancing on bloody ice continues apace. Even the PSNI are getting in on the act. They're holding a PSNI talent show in Garneville. It's not going to work because, let's face it, if you had any talent, would you be a peeler? <laughs> Tim McGarry is one of the most recognisable faces on our TV screens. Ever since the comedy film Two Ceasefires in a Wedding, his now iconic character Da has joined the likes of Uncle Andy and Billy the Peeler in taking an irreverent look at life and politics here. You know, Andy, if there was more like you and me, we wouldn't have had 25 years of violence. Yeah, we could have stretched it out to 40. <laughs> Together with historian David Hume, he stars in a new TV series on the BBC, The Long and the Short of It. On The Long and the Short of It, a lapsed Catholic comedian takes on Orange Man and historian Dr David Hume in the controversial subject of history. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I used to make a joke, a very bad joke, but it was a joke. I used to say that some people know an awful lot about Irish history and some people know nothing at all. And I call those people who know nothing at all about Irish history, Protestants. They'll be looking at Irish history from two very different perspectives. And the police to say, Tim McGarry joins me on the line. Now, I have COVID, so Tim, I couldn't have you in the studio, but you are very welcome to the Bell Tale. Tim, I think it's the first time we've had a comedian on the Bell Tale. Normally, this is a very serious podcast. So let's see, let's see how it goes. Right. Well, my father always said the worst thing in life you can do is take yourself too seriously. The most important thing to have in life is to have a sense of your own ridiculousness. So please have a sense of your own ridiculousness. You mentioned your father there. Could you tell us a bit about your own background? You hate to tell people, but I was born a long time ago in 1964 in North Belfast. My uh, mother was a nurse. Uh, my father was a surgeon in the Matter Hospital, and they married in 1952, and I was number five of six children. Um, so I had a very idyllic upbringing in uh, North Belfast, though unfortunately I'm a, I'm a child of the Troubles as well, so I was kind of five or six when the Troubles broke out. So uh, my school and uh, secondary school and university was all through those eras. In fact, I was at university 82 to 86 in a particularly nasty period of time. So I'm, I'm a child of that sort of upbringing, of that sort of ilk, that sort of era. Um, and at university, I met two guys, uh, Damon Quinn and Michael McDowell, who, uh, and I met them in 1982. And I'm like, oh, God, that's 41 years ago, isn't it? Bloody, and I'm still bloody stuck with them because we were sitting writing jokes today for an episode of Give Me a Head Peace. Um, so I'm still stuck with the same guys I was at university with 41 years ago. Uh, and they, we started writing jokes and comedy sketches and stuff. We all studied law together. 
at Queen's, and that, that's how we ended up where we are today, by a, a long, circuitous route. Did you always? Did you, I mean, did you always want to go into comedy, or did you become a lawyer? If you don't mind me asking. No, no, I, I, I loved comedy when I was young, particularly things like uh, Monty Python and Faulty Towers, and there was a uh, sketch show at the end of the seventies called Not the Nine O'clock News. I always loved my comedy, but I had no ambition and no, uh, no desire to be a comedy. I ended up studying law, partly because I, I liked history. Um, but my mother, when I got my A-level results, my mother said to me, so what are you going to be then, a doctor, a lawyer, or a priest? And uh, the priesthood was definitely out uh, due to uh, latent atheism, and uh, medicine was definitely out, but I didn't like the sight of blood. Uh, so I thought, oh, well, I'll try the law. And then very early on, when I was studying law at Queen's University, I met Damon Quinn and Michael McDowell, and Damon used to write plays at school and write sketches at school. And so I, I always liked... The idea of comedy, and he kind of roped me into being in a couple of his uh, plays that he actually wrote, and they were ever, to be fair, they were quite good plays. Um, and he put them on in the group theatre, and that's kind of emerged from there. I think most people will recognise your voice. I hope you won't be uh, you won't be offended if I say you're da. So 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 in the hole in the wall, gang, and get and get my head piece. And that's where I first saw you. Yes, Jerry, I know that, and I do accept the new situation, Jerry. But it would have been nice to be told. <laughs> you knew I'd be upset. <laughs> I was more upset to hear about it on the TV, Jerry. I am the Commander-in-Chief of the Lower Falls Brigade. It would have been nice to hear it from you, rather than the British Broadcasting Corporation. Where did that idea come from for these characters and for this long-standing... Yeah, well, well, that'll probably be on my headstone, you know, um, I, and that's that's fine. I, that's, that's that's nice thing to have. We, we've got a we've uh, we've got an awful lot of of TV programs and statues out of Da and Ma and Cal and all of that. And I actually first started as a one-off sketch about bad Northern Ireland plays that were uh, that reflected the BBC, particularly in the early 80s, 1980s. And uh, there, was a, there was a series of plays that were all very earnest and they were always about Northern Ireland. They were all very, very earnest. Usually English actors with bad Northern Ireland accents there was usually, you know, uh, uh, you know, a Protestant falling in love with a Catholic, and it usually ended tragically with a with a with a bomb explosion, and it usually ended with everybody holding their heads, going, "Wouldn't it be better if we all just loved one another and forgot the troubles?" So we took the piss out of that in a stage show. We uh, we, we used to do sketches, and we took the piss out of this these sort of plays with a, in a sketch called "Too Late to Talk to Billy and Patty about love across the barricades and the terror triangle." which was a kind of pastiche of all those plays and, and, and films squashed together into one sketch. And that then developed into uh, a, a one-off sketch that we did on radio and it was developed into a half-hour sort of spoof play that we did on radio uh, for an award-winning radio series we did in 1981 called The Perforated Ulster. And it kind of developed from there. So we we eventually did, did this a TV version of it in 1995 called Two Ceasefires in a Wedding, where all these characters and they were stock characters and they were they were they were cartoon cutouts and because they were based on a, a satire of of those sort of plays and things. <laughs> Very good. But why do we have to have a crazy psychotic laugh for anyway? Because we're evil godfathers of terrorism. How many IRA films have you been in? You get a manic laugh, a mad look, that's it, and a thick Irish accent. 
What do you think of my Belfast accent, Daddy? <laughs> Terrible. But never worry. Nobody in England will notice. <laughs> and originally, when, when we did two ceasefires in the wedding, we thought, that's a one-off, and it's gone. And in fact, it was the playwright Martin Lynch who said, listen, guys, you've actually, you know, you've created a soap there. <laughs> you've created a, a thing that has legs, and there's a lot more to it. And... Uh, he was he was right. God bless Martin Lynch. He was absolutely right because twenty five years later we're still doing give him a headpiece. Well, I mean, I remembered the time, and I remember everybody thought, as you said, it was very it was very groundbreaking. It was very interesting. The characters, everybody recognised them. But I wonder, is Da, Hastert Begbie, and Uncle Andy are they, are they characters in themselves now? Because I just think that there's a whole generation of people who won't remember the people they're they're based on, if you know what I mean. They won't remember Jerry Adams dressing like that. They will no. never have heard of a loyalist pastor. And certainly Andy Tyree's a long time ago. Absolutely, but the bizarre thing is, Kieran, and this is very strange. Uh, we we get all the we get all the ratings from the BBC and they, they analyse all the figures. There's a couple of things that that we do. We we we're we're, we're very cross community appeal. But secondly, I'm quite bizarrely, and I speak as a man who I've just given you my age at the start of this interview, we attract a very young audience. We attract a young audience. And the thing about that, I think the reason for that is twofold. Number one, you're right, people don't remember, you know, uh, Pastor Kenny McClintock, who I think Pastor Begbie is based on, or uh, Andy Terry, or all those sort of characters. But these are larger-than-life characters. They're, they're kind of two-dimensional cartoons, cartoony characters, but they're fun. They're just stupid, and they're they're they're. Well, and you also get a bit of political satire. And no matter what, where we are in Northern Ireland, yes, you're right. Those characters are all gone, but the issues are remain the same. We still live in a society where you know we don't have an assembly because there's a Protestant party and a, and a Catholic party, and they don't get on. We still live in a society where schools are divided, where you know uh, sports are divided. All those things remain the same from when Give My Head Peace started. And to be fair. To my headpiece, we have developed and moved. The characters have moved along. You're absolutely right. The, the foundational basis of them uh, may, may uh, have changed. It may not be recognisable to some people. But we still get a large, large, large audience. We get a very wide demographic come to our stage shows from literally teenagers and kids right through to, you know, granny and granda. Sometimes I look at our politics and it's so dysfunctional and it's some of it is so farcical, really. How do you, how do you even start to parody something which is already farcical. With Give Me a Piece, we like to be as topical as possible, particularly in the stage shows where you can write literally up to the day you're, you're uh, step on the stage. And I do a bit of stand-up and like to keep it as topical as possible so it will change during the, the run of the show. But yeah, I mean, we, we've all kept our fingers on the pulse. Absolutely right. I mean, some political situation uh, is so far scale the jokes read itself. Sometimes it is so boring as well. However, I mean Stormont has been down so often. You know, people go, "Oh, it's great fun." You know, Stormont's been down. Must give you plenty of material. They give us nothing. I mean, there literally is stasis and the same situation again and again and again. And people making the same arguments again and again and again, and it gets very tedious. Um, so we try to. We, we, so you have to dig hard to 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 get the fun. With give my head piece again, the, the characters are so well known and so well liked. You can just go off and tan and forget about politics but politics always comes back to we, we always come back to the Northern Ireland situation and the Northern Ireland politics because the show was originally uh, made by BBC Northern Ireland for a local audience specifically aimed at a local audience it wasn't for anybody else outside Northern Ireland or for the South or anybody there so we we can make jokes about Jimmy Bryson and uh, Jim Allister and Naomi Long which people outside Northern Ireland will have no idea who those people are but we will we will know uh, the local audience will will be a, they'll be a touchstone for our local audience. 
And Tim, in terms of the humour, in terms of, of what the Hole in the Wall gang get up to, I mean, is there anything you wouldn't joke about? Is there any lane you wouldn't cross? When we first started, I mean, the troubles were still going on and there were people going, oh, you can't make fun. You can't make fun of, you know, the paramilitaries because, you know, they shoot people and all. And you can't make fun of the politics here because it's too serious and people are dying on the streets. And you go, no, 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 that's exactly why you should be doing that. Um, so, no, we, we've never had any. I mean, we only had one rule ever when we were doing our comedy, which is you can't make a joke about a specific incident where somebody's been killed or injured, that was always off there. So they never, ever made a joke about a specific incident where somebody has been killed or injured. But apart from that, everybody and everything is kind of fair game. And most people here, I mean, as I say, it was huge. Give me a headpiece was massively popular, you know, then, you know, good 15, 20 years ago, we were getting bigger ratings than the soap operas and stuff like that and getting thousands of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of viewers. That's gone down a bit, but we still have a quite a, a large and loyal following. And I don't think people accuse of punching down. I mean, I think, yes, they, they, a lot of these characters are cartoon working class characters, but a lot of our, our fans come from you know, working class areas and, you know, appreciate that it's done with affection. It's not done to mock or deride or, you know, to, to uh, insult people. It's done with, it comes from a good place and it comes from an, an affection. And there's also, there's a, there's always a grain of truth in these characters. Yes, they're larger than life. Yes, they're virtually cartoony, but there's also always a grain of truth in them. The Uncle Andy character, the dad character and his relationship with his, his idiot son, Carl, I mean, those, there are people like that in real life. There are people who have rotten marriages. You know, there are people people like Billy, the, the policeman's quite interesting. Billy the Peeler, we always made sure, was a non-sectarian policeman. He wasn't a bigot. He wasn't, you know, he, he was just a lazy cop, which is what he was just a cop who was in it to get as much overtime as possible and not to have as, have as least hassle in his life as possible. So it wasn't overtly political and he wasn't, you know, wanting to batter. He'd batter anybody he stole to batter, but basically, you know, he'd rather be sitting with his feet up having a passy in the back of a Land Rover rather than being, you know, a sectarian or anything of that nature. And I think the things like that kind of helped people realise that we were where we were coming from was we were coming from a position of wanting to make people laugh as much as possible. Well, David, we finally did it. We got the long and the short of it on TV. And That's after him. seven series on radio, people are finally going to know why the show is called The Long and The Short of It. They are. It's because I am short and brief and to the point, and you're extremely long-winded. Uh, the Long and The Short of It uh, is your radio programme with David Hume. It was always a radio program. Is it a TV program now? Just just to make sure I get I can get that right. Is it? Is it? Uh... Well, that's the whole reason I'm doing the interview, Kieran. You numpty. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, starting on on TV this Friday. Okay. The, it's you know it has been a radio series for seven series. David and I uh, have done seven series, and yeah, there are four four episodes, sort of pilot episodes, starting this Friday. Uh, uh, on BBC One at half seven, uh, and they'll be on the iPlayer straight after that. So yeah, we've we've done six or seven seven radio series. Yeah. So that was a, I mean the radio series is a huge hit. Is it is it going to change much? How did you transfer it to TV? Is it the same or is it uh, have you had to change it a little? We've changed bits and pieces of it, but the the, the essence of it is basically uh, David uh, is, a, is an orange man. David comes from Larne, well, Ballycarry, originally a Larne man, uh, and he and I come from opposite sides of the Northern Ireland fence, and we come from... Uh, 
from learning history very differently when we were at school. So we approach history very differently. And the, the essence of it is basically the two of us having a row about Irish history, but talking to experts and investigating our own, you know, views and our, maybe our own prejudices and deciding whether or not we take, we take uh, as many controversial issues as we can in Irish history and discuss them and debate them. Uh, and we speak to experts and we do it with humour and we do it a bit with a bit of respect. And we sometimes come to a conclusion. He's a hard man to change the mind of because he's an orange man, obviously. Uh, whereas I'm obviously far more flexible and liberal and all that progressive. Uh, but he's no, he's a good man. When I get the, the, the leap from radio to TV, it's been very successful on radio. Uh, TV eats up material a lot more, so you have to have more experts and you have to have more visuals, and it's a lot longer to produce and things like that. But we're we're very happy with what we've done. We think we're we're very proud of the, the four programs we have. We think they look great. We think they also, you know, basically um, conform to the BBC remit of entertaining, educating, and informing all at the, re- all at the same time. So they are entertaining. They are informative and there are proper history in them. Yes, David and I have a, you know, there's a bit of banter between us, but we do have proper real disagreements and we do discuss proper real issues where people will have strong views. So if you mentioned even Michael Collins, Catholics and Protestants will probably have very, very different views on Michael Collins and what he did. The Lauren Gunrunning, which is another one with UVF and the, the Lauren Gunrunning of 1914, people will have very set or settled views on that. And I think the fact that David and I are prepared to come and discuss it and debate it and analyse it and speak to experts, that we can, you know, shed a bit of light on these sort of things and say that things aren't normally as, as black and white as sometimes we think and that maybe there's a bit of grey in there as well. I suppose not only that, I mean, I've read a few interviews uh and I've read a few pieces about the, the new program. I mean, some people, to put it very simply, would prefer that history was forgotten. Other people think that it would be better if we knew a lot more about history and its nuances in terms of building, I suppose, a better future. I mean, did you learn things that you just didn't know from making the show? I learned lots of things because we've done, we've done as I say, a quite a number of series now and everything from the Vikings and the Norman invasion right up to World War II. Um, I, I think, to be honest with you, uh, and I'll be blunt about this, I, I first met David Hume when I was doing a show about Ulster Scots, and I did a show called Tim McGarry's Ulster Scots Journey, uh, which is basically saying I came from a you know vaguely papist nationalist background, didn't think Ulster Scots, what's in it for me? Is there anything in this for Catholics or is this just made up stuff, you know, that, that unionists have invented Ulster Scots? Uh, and I met David Hume, uh, really hit it off with him. He was a really decent guy. He's, he was very open and stuff. And I learned, because you come from a, a nationalist perspective, come from the Catholic schools, uh, our history is very different from, from other history. We we didn't learn anything much about the connection between Ulster and Scotland. And that's a long, long history before the plantation, uh, the connection of how close Ulster was to Scotland. And that's a connection but that makes Ulster slightly different from the rest of the island of Ireland. And I didn't really appreciate that. And then having done all the, the series with David, he hasn't necessarily persuaded me on, on certain things. I, I still have my, my firm opinions, but I have to be honest with you, I'm far more open to uh, and far more uh, sympathetic, should I say, to, to the unionist cause than it would have been before I I debated with David. There, there, I can see where he's coming from and I can see where unionists are coming from, whereas maybe beforehand I would have been somewhat simplistic in my views about that and about 
particularly in history, uh, say things like Home Rule and the uh, the Home Rule crisis and unionist opposition to Home Rule. A lot of the time, I would have thought, well, that's just sectarian. They're just the bigots who won't, you know, won't accept that the majority of people in Ireland are Catholic, and you know, they should just get on with it. And there's a lot more to it than that, uh, and there's a lot more nuance to it. And also, we forget that people used to take religion far more seriously than they do in the more secular days that, that we live in today. And that, you know, you, the great thing about history is you, 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 you tend to forget sometimes that people who are acting out important moments in history don't know the future so what are their motives there and then they don't know what's going to be the consequences of what they do uh, so what are their motives there and then and I think that helps inform us and, and, and working with David over the years I think I, I've gained a better understanding of where he and his community are coming from and you know a better understanding more sympathy for that but not necessarily I'm not, I'm not a rollover you know I'm not going to go oh right I've been wrong about my history I think there's a lack of understanding between unionists and nationalists and Catholics and Protestants that has been going on for a long long time uh, and that's why you know hate to bore everybody again but I am a passionate advocate of integrated education uh, and I do a lot of gigs for them and I would say that you know part of the reason why we are still very divided as a society is that we still have segregated schools the passion for integrated education, is that religious or is it cultural or, or is it politics or, or is it everything? It's, it's, it's politics, really. And it's, it's kind of it, I think if you if you um, if you went to any other society and that we are a divided society uh, that, that shot each other up until we were murdering each other on, on the basis of our religion. And you think, well, what, how can we how can we do that? And the reason why people can join the new IRA and go and shoot a Protestant policeman is because they, they don't know any. They've never met any. They haven't. That's not part of their community. They don't know who these people are. You go to a lot of the, the sectarian killers on the unionist side and from the from the 70s and 80s, they'll say, I never met a Catholic, didn't know one. Um and integrated education just seems absolutely, first of all, the cost of segregated education is utterly ridiculous. We live in a bizarre society where we even educate our teachers in separate colleges. What is going on? I mean, is there is there Protestant French and Catholic French and Protestant chemistry and Catholic chemistry? It's just madness. Um, so it's just, it's just common sense. And I think the, the, the tide of history is in our favour as well. I was just wondering, I mean, you're, you know, the practicalities and the... We debate integrated education. Well, we we talk about integrated education a lot. And because it's just self-evidently good idea, it's very rarely, the practicalities are very rarely questioned. But I'm speaking to you outside of Belfast. I'm not in Belfast. And this division, what people what people normally describe are, are schools, are divided schools. I suppose the question would be in a rural sense, well, in order to integrate, well, who's who integrates with who? Who wins, I suppose, in the inevitable cultural battles which would ensue from integration? Who wins? Well, hopefully nobody wins. Though I mean, I, I take your point to a certain extent. I remember doing. A, I was talking to uh, uh, Colin Murray about this, and Colin Murray went to an integrated school, and Colin Murray says. The best thing about an integrated school was, yes, I met Catholics, but he said, as well, when you were playing football, the Rangers and Celtic teams picked themselves, you know, because everybody automatically knew, even in an integrated school, who the Catholics were and who the Protestants were. And they all kept, uh, it's a slightly facetious, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. I mean, th- th- there needs to be a joint curriculum. There should be a, there should be a, a joint, funny, it was one of the things that David Schumann and I agree on. Uh, there needs to be a joint history curriculum because the history I learned as a Catholic and in, in 
with the Christian brothers and then the uh, when uh, the priests and Somalis. Well, not all priests now, but you know, it came from a, a, a nationalist skew. Uh, and David Hume and a lot of Protestants would say that the history they learnt in in their schools either ignored Irish history completely, or it was always kings and queens and this, that, and the other. But or or they ignored the the uh, the, the nationalist aspect. He, David Hume would say he he learnt nothing about the likes of. Daniel O'Connell or Charles Stuart Parnell or Michael Collins or anything like that. So who who wins? I think we need to have a we need to have a, a an agreed and objective curriculum. I think there need to be things like you know the, the number of sports being available to everybody. So because I know certain Catholics go to integrated schools and go oh you know you, they don't play Gaelic football and things like that. That all needs to be sorted out. But it's not a question of who wins. It's it's a it's a fundamental building block of society that all children should go to the same school and learn the same things. That's and they meet people from the other side of the fence. And and part of that as well is of course that our housing is still massively integrated or segregated, and we need to do something about that. But this is just part of the picture. It, as you say, it just makes common sense. It's just how who would say if you're starting from scratch or starting from here that you would go tell you what we'll take our kids and we'll segregate them at four years old. That's utter madness. If you do any survey in Northern Ireland and ask parents do they want their children to mix with children from the other side, the vast majority of them say absolutely. Please bring it on. Uh, and I, I accept there are still issues about things like the Irish language and Gaelic football and things like that. But those can all be resolved with a bit of a bit of understanding and a bit of common sense. So what's coming up for the on the Wall gang, Tim? Well, first of all, can I uh, heartily recommend to your listeners to come to the Ulster Hall on Thursday, the 19th of October for Stand Up for Integrated Education with features myself and Colin Murphy uh, and uh, the great Wendy Wason and also Neil Delamere. We're doing it. We, we do an annual sort of stand up show for integrated education. Uh, and it's a great night out. And even if you uh, are quite sectarian and don't want Protestants and Catholics to mix, you should still come because it's great crack. Uh, and coming up for me is the Blame Game is back later in the year and Give Me Head Peace is back around Christmas time for four episodes. But most importantly, this Friday, the 8th of September, uh, is our brand new show, The Long and the Short of It, four part series. Uh, starting at half seven on Friday night on BBC One and then immediately after that all four episodes will be online and we're covering The Siege of Derry was Lundy a traitor we're covering The Act of Union would you have voted for The Act of Union was the Lauren Gunnering justified and Michael Collins hero or villain Tim McGarry thank you very much pleasure Kieran. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, the Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.